I don't know if you remember, I think it was on for like nine seasons. Very popular show. I kind of liked it. It was called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Uh, the show was pretty much like what it, it sounds like. Uh, good stuff. On one of the programs, they had a family, the Latif family from Wilmington, Delaware. A family in a good deal of financial need and just under a lot of stress for various reasons. They had a special needs child and everything. And so they came in to, to fix up their house. And as the show worked, this episode pretty much indicative of how all the episodes worked, they sent the Latifs off on about a week-long vacation, and uh, they came in. First of all, uh, an expert comes in, a designer, who was able to envision possibilities for their very humble home that that family was not able to see on their own. Uh, and then that uh, expert brought in his team, a very skilled uh, workers that just swarm into that house and they transform that house inside and out. Glorious transformation, amazing job. And then the very best part, uh, they pay for it all. The outsider pays for the whole thing. It's pretty cool. Well, in this one, the Latif family comes back from their vacation. They have the big reveal, you know, that moment where they see their new house, their transformed house. And it was just cool. Tears of joy and hugs and high fives and lots of smiles. And that gets me to thinking, as we're talking about body and soul, that inside and out transformation that God is bringing into our lives, into the life of every disciple. And we've been talking about that the last few weeks. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, of this transformation, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. All this is from God. Read this with me if you would. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God. All of it from God. Now, one big difference between the way the TV show worked and the way God works, a lot of differences, but one of the big ones is once those guys from Extreme Makeover Home Edition came in and transformed the house and had the big reveal, once that was over, poof, they disappeared, right? The crew, they all go on to their next project. God doesn't disappear. When He comes into your life, He is with you for the duration. He is going to help, encourage, comfort, challenge, and stick beside you, partnering in this process of transformation until paradise, until eternal life. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Last week we talked about, uh, we began to talk about self-control, probably not the most glamorous, uh, the most sexiest concept in the Bible, but a powerful one, self-control. And among other things, we learned from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God gives us this spirit. Paul tells his protege, Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. And so this self-control, when it's exercised, when it's developed, helps me, helps you, helps us to grow up into our full potential in Christ, helps us to become that new creation that God envisions because He is envisioning some things about your life, about my life, that we on our own are not able to envision. He's certainly able to, through His tools, 
transform us, coming into our life and making that happen. And the best thing of all, God is bankrolling the whole thing. That's the gospel. God has paid our debt of sin. God has not only washed us clean, but given us His Holy Spirit. And so God is banking this whole project. It is a wonderful thing. Now, self-control... We learn in the New Testament, we saw this last week, self-control is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Or, Galatians chapter 5, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So God gives you self-control, but it's not sort of a presto abracadabra, whoa, I woke up, suddenly I have self-control. It doesn't work like, you know that, it doesn't work like that. It is a partnership You have a role to play, and God has a role to play. And this partnership, you see this language of cooperation, of of partnership between you and God throughout the New Testament, several passages, very quickly. The first one is in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Listen for the partnership language. Paul says, My dear friends, you have always obeyed God when I was with you. It is even more important that you obey now while I am away from you. Keep on working. Keep on working to what? To complete your salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you. To help you want to do and be able to do what pleases Him. So the New Testament is constantly doing this. It's constantly stopping down and showing you that relationship between you and God in this project of you becoming a brand new person. This passage calls it a work a work site, a project between you and God. So think about that language there. What is my part? Well, according to chapter 2, verse 12, my part, Paul says, is, Gordon, keep on working. Don't quit on God. Don't walk away from the project. You keep on working. God's part, verse 13, He is working in you to help you. He is working in you on the inside to help you. Another image in the New Testament in Galatians is this image of a of garden, you know, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, maybe better an orchard. An orchard of the Holy Spirit where he is producing fruits. And in that imagery in Galatians 5:25, his part, the fruit of the Spirit is. So the Spirit of God is yielding is producing fruit. So he's, he's pruning, he's planting, he's fertilizing, he is yielding this fruit, but I have a part to play as well. Verse 22 says, my part is to keep in step with the Spirit, to stay lined up with the Spirit, to, to, to sense the rhythm of the Spirit, and to move myself into that rhythm of the Spirit. And then Jesus describes the partnership as in a lot of different ways, but one of them is, think about a vineyard, maybe Napa Valley, or, or maybe 
you know, France or something. There's this beautiful hillside vineyard, and you've got these vines, and they are just weighed down with beautiful grapes. And Jesus says, that's what the partnership is like with him. He is the vine, right? He says in John 15, 5, I am the vine. You can do nothing apart from me. There are no grapes without the vine. The vine nourishes, provides sustenance. But we have a part to play too. And Jesus tells us in verse, five, in verse 5 there, Remain in me. Stay connected. Remain in me. And I'm going to produce this fruit in your life. So this partnership, you, the Spirit of Christ, sharing the load and producing some pretty amazing results. Now, the big reveal is not going to happen here in this life. The big reveal will happen someday in heaven, and we are told in various parts of the New Testament, and we'll actually talk about this in a couple of weeks, this big reveal, is going to blow you away. There will be tears of joy. There will be high fives and celebration when that happens. But now, what's going on here is that we are partnering with the Holy Spirit in this in this beautiful project. Now, the, the, the main word, plerustha, in the New Testament, in the Greek, the main word that's used, plerustha, is filled. We are supposed to be plerusthed. We're supposed to be filled. It can also be translated as under the influence of. It can be translated as being permeated or drenched like a sponge with. But it's most often translated here, filled with the Holy Spirit, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Under the influence, Paul is going to say, not of, of like strong drink, but under the influence of the Holy Spirit, filled and fueled by the Spirit, not by something else. And that's our problem, right? We look to other filling stations, other fueling He says, except no substitutes. This is how transformation happens, how body and soul makeovers occur. It is when we are filled with the Spirit. And he uses this kind of under the influence language in Galatians, uh, rather Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 and verse 18. He writes about this. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. And what? Instead, be filled, be plerusted with the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. One thing you can think about this uh, to help you think about being filled, you can think about like a glove. Uh, this would be the appropriate time of year when sometimes you might need to wear gloves outside. Um, when you accept Jesus Christ, when you are washed in the blood of the Lamb and set free from your guilt and shame, the Bible tells us that you are then filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a glove, it can't do anything by itself. It just kind of sits there, right? A glove was made to be filled by a hand. You were made to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, fills you. And so who is doing the work? Is the hand doing the work or is the glove doing the work? Pretty easy answer there. The hand 
is doing the work. The Spirit who fills me is the one who is producing the fruit, is the one who is really powering this change, who's making the work happen. I'm the vessel. My body is a vessel for the Holy Spirit. My body is just, is just the glove, okay? Now, another way to envision this, and this one I think is even more powerful, is thinking about a sailboat. I love that picture, by the way. I just love that. I just want to sit and stare at that picture. That looks wonderful. A sailboat. The wind filling up the sails, and that sailboat is just taken off across the waves. Um, And it's the wind, right? The wind that moves it, the wind that powers it, that fuels it. In Christ, you are filled by the Spirit, the pneuma, the wind. Spirit is pneuma. Wind is pneuma. Same word. You are filled by the Spirit, by the holy wind of God, and you are moved in your life, filled and fueled. Your life is plerusted again. It is filled by the influence of the Spirit. Unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians see themselves maybe less as a sailboat and more as a, as a rowboat. Uh, fight against the current. Fight against the wind. Fight against the waves. Uh, anything that's going to happen, it is up to you. You got to put in the put in that work. And if it's not going well, you better just try harder. That's not a biblical image. A much more healthy, balanced biblical image is that of a sailboat. Because in a rowboat, the power source is the rower. The one who is in control is the rower. Back to the sailboat. So, (laughs) the power from the wind, the influence from the wind, is the sailor just like passive? No, you know, the sailor has a role to play. Again, back to partnership. There's a sailor-wind partnership. I think of growing up, southwest Missouri, my dad and I would drive down uh, several times a year down to Beaver Lake in northwest Arkansas, and we would go sailing. A lot of good memories from that. I learned a little bit about sailing there, and I definitely learned when you're sailing, you're not passive. You are very busy. You are positioning the boat in the right place to catch it. You're positioning the sail. You're raising the sails up. You're making sure that they are full of wind. You're steering with the rudder. But here's the thing. You are totally dependent on the wind, right? I mean, it's not going anywhere unless you have the wind, Unlike the rowboat in a sailboat, there is no room for believing that you are in control, that you are making the thing move, because if the wind doesn't blow, you don't go. (laughs) But when the wind blows, if you've ever been in a sailboat before, when the wind starts blowing, wow, it's pretty exciting, man. It is pretty cool. So my part... My part in this self-control, in this self-discipline, is to make sure that my sails are raised, to invite the Spirit of God to fill me up and to move me and to fuel me and to take me wherever He wants to take me. Now, so am I doing the work? 
Or is God doing the work? Well, God's power at work in me doesn't mean that I'm just along for the ride. It doesn't mean that I'm simply passive. It, Christ and I are in this together. We're in it together. And since there are two sides to this partnership, obviously I have a role to play. I'm not just passive. In fact, think back to that passage from Paul, uh, Ephesians 5, 18 and then 19. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. That's not just some observation that he's making. He's saying, you need to be filled with the Spirit. I have a role to play. I need to be filled with the Spirit. How do I do this? Spoiler alert. There is no formula. There is no 6, 8, 12-step recipe for this because it's a spirit thing, not a science thing. It's about relationship, not rules. So there has to be room for mystery here. We're talking about the Spirit of God. There has to be room for mystery in this. Don't take my word for it. Jesus talks about this. You remember that clandestine conversation that Jesus had with that that Jewish leader Nicodemus in John chapter 3. They talked about all sorts of things. One of the things that Jesus talked about was the Holy Spirit. Incidentally, Love the church I grew up in. I never remember hearing us talk about this passage in the church I grew up in. But Jesus talks about this idea of wind, of spirit in our lives. He says in John 3 verse 8, Jesus says the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There has to be mystery. It can't be reduced to a formula. Um, Now, the body and soul transformation is something we want. We know that it is something that God wants. He wants to make us into a new creation. It's not going to happen by by, by grabbing a hold of the oars and rowing as hard as you can. It's not going to happen by our power. It's a spirit thing. And while there is not a simple formula to be followed. There is a part that we play, and it is important. We raise our sails to be filled with the Spirit. This involves feeding your soul. Anything that you do to nourish and feed your soul will help you be filled and fueled by the Spirit. It involves being lined up with, being in harmony, being in step with, in Paul's words, with the Word of God. Amen? You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, the Word of God, your Bible, it is the sword of the Spirit. You can't be filled with the Spirit if you're ignoring His Word. And so we listen to, we read, and we follow the promptings and the clear instructions of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. We raise our sail as well by giving some focus to our prayer lives. No formula, all right? No recipe here. But the more we're contacting God in connection with Him and fellowship with Him through prayer, the more we are raising our sails to Him. Now, one final thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about it, Because I think it's powerful, and I think it's something that is often uh, neglected or just kind of ignored maybe, and it's this idea of 
fasting, okay? Fasting. Now, let me tell you why you should be interested in fasting. Just a just very simple reason. The list of fasters, the women and men in the Bible who fasted is basically a who's who of the Bible, okay? Um, you, Abraham's servant is fasting as he searches for a wife for Isaac, okay? Um, Moses fasts on a number of occasions in the Bible. Uh, Hannah fasted when she wanted a child from the Lord. She fasted and prayed. Uh, David fasted several times. Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, all were fasters. Esther fasted when she saw her people, the Jewish people, on the brink of genocide, and she interceded for them. Daniel fasted. The entire city of Nineveh fasted, and God answered and brought revival to that city. Jesus fasted. Paul fasted. Uh, The Christians in Antioch fasted over Paul and Barnabas before they sent them out on one of their great missionary journeys. So fasting, I mean, it's something a lot of people, a lot of VIPs of Scripture were all about. And it is a tool that involves self-control and it involves hoisting that sail up to fill yourself with the Spirit of God. What is it? I've got this on your outline this morning. We're just going to spend just a few minutes here. It's going to go really short. Fasting essentially is this. It is the choice to deny myself of something I have come to depend on so I may seek God. Right? It's usually, I, I think you can put it in brackets there, a predetermined amount of time. Um, it is a special season of self-denial so that you can focus on God. Now, it does a lot of things for us. One of them that it does very well is fasting tends to uncover our weakness. It tends to uncover um, the forces that have come to control, to master us. So when you fast, you're denying yourself uh, uh, of something that you think you need. It may be food. I'm going to fast for 36 hours or 48 hours or, or longer. It could be drink. It could be uh, fasting from the TV. It could be fasting from the internet. It could be fasting from your cell phone. Oh, I can't possibly do that. Well, a lot of us here live most of our lives without a cell phone. It can be done. It is possible. But you think you need it. No, I've got to have that. Um, It could be um, fasting from talking. I'm going to have a silent retreat. My wife does that sometimes. I'm just going to go off. And be quiet for a couple of days. Um, a while back, <laughs> a while back, I fasted from caffeine for a couple of months. I think it was, and I, I knew that man, I just was re- over reliant on caffeine. I was just constantly coffee all day long, cokes all day long, and so for a couple of months, I got off caffeine. And the idea was I'm going to focus on God. Um, Toward the end of that, Isla was basically counting down the days for that fast to end. Turns out, my wife prefers the caffeinated Gordon to the uncaffeinated gourd. I think I do too. But it was good. It was good. And it certainly exposed some things in my life and helped me get nearer to the Lord. And that's what fasting does. It really shows um, some blind spots, I think, where uh, we need to, that need to be exposed. You know, Uh, it also makes us stronger fasting because it is an exercise. 
It's an exercise in self-control. Um, so just a few quick things just to jot down. I mean, this is very basic. I get that, but we're, we're just going to hit the highlights here. Fasting on your outline is an act of worship which acknowledges my dependence on the Lord. It reminds me who's the boss, right? Um, fasting reminds me, Gordon, your stomach is not your boss. Fasting reminds me, caffeine is not my Lord. <laughs> it reminds me, my cell phone is, is not my master. It reminds me that I was made, body and soul, to serve the Lord. Fasting helps put that into perspective once again. Also, uh, the next bullet point there, it can help me express sorrow and sincere repentance before God. If you're in a rut, if you're caught in addictive behavior, and you know, I know this part of my life does not line up with what God wants. I know He's got this renovation, this, this project for me. He's trying to make me in this new creation. But right here, I've just been resisting for years. Fasting is a way to, to repent and say, i got to break out of this. I've got to change this. I'm so sorry, God. Fasting, the next bullet point there is a way you can petition God. Like Hannah, you can petition God for something that is desperately needed. So how's your hunger? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty for God? Do you long to see those sails filled up and feel that rush of getting into that current of what God is doing? Are you hungry for that? Are you hungry for him to fill you like a hand fills a glove and use you to serve in this broken world, to minister, to bring his blessing into this community and into this world? Maybe you're hungry for the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. Only Jesus, only Jesus can bring forgiveness into your life. Permanent forgiveness because only Jesus shed his blood for your redemption. And maybe you need this morning, you feel the need to make Jesus your Lord and to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, being baptized into him. One thing, if you're new here, in 2017 we've kind of, I don't know what the right word is, focused on, dedicated ourselves to, but basically praying for each other, reaching up together. And so we're going to have a time where we're going to sing a little bit and we're going to pray a little bit. And I just want to invite you, find somebody to pray over. Find somebody to put your arm around and pray over. And let me be really clear here. You don't need a reason. The fact that we are human beings living in a broken, sin-stained world, that's reason enough. We all need prayers. So pray over somebody's marriage. Pray over their parenting. Pray over their job. Pray over their job search. Pray over... This is an open invitation to put your arm around somebody and pray for them. As together we stand and together we pray and worship together.